Welcome to the Love Your Story podcast. On the podcast, I have shared stories of everything from eating disorders, infertility, losing a child, suicide, death of a spouse, lots of hard things and sacred places that people have experienced, overcome, and learned and grown from. Today's story is dark. This is the first story shared on the podcast about rape. Madeline Black, violently gang-raped when she was 13 years old and raped three more times before the age of 18, has experienced more trauma in her life than most ever will. Living in a state of shock and self-loathing, it took her years of struggle to confront the buried memories of that first attack and begin to undo the damage that it wrought as men continued to take advantage of her fragility in the worst possible way. Yet after growing up with a burden no teenager should ever have to shoulder, she found the heart to carry out the best revenge plan of all, leading a fulfilling and happy life. For Madeline, forgiveness was the key. True forgiveness takes genuine effort. It takes a real desire to understand those who have done us so much harm. It is the ultimate act of courage. Today, she tells the story of finding her voice and her heart and an acceptance of herself Stay tuned for her story and know that we tell these stories on the podcast not to focus on the hard spaces, but to celebrate the people who learn, grow, and thrive despite the hard and terrible roads we walk. The story is also a little graphic. Be prepared for that. Stories are our lives in language. Welcome to the Love Your Story podcast. I'm Lori Lee, and I'm excited for our future together of telling stories evaluating our own stories, and lifting ourselves and others to greater places because of our control over our stories. This podcast is about empowerment and giving you, the listener, ideas to work with in making your stories work for you. Story power serves you best when you know how to use it. Madeline Black wrote a book called Unbroken. In Unbroken, Madeline tells her deeply moving and empowering story as she discovers that life is about how a person chooses to recover from adversity. We are not defined by what knocks us down. We are defined by how we get back up. She says, If anyone had told me a few years ago that one day I would be giving radio and TV interviews, speaking publicly, or writing a book, I would never have believed them. But after sharing my story publicly for the first time in September 2014, I realized that my voice and words are now my strength, and I will continue to speak out against sexual violence for all those who can't find their voice yet. Here is Madeline's story. What motivates me in life is life. To wake up every day is is a new start, is a new day, every moment's new. Everything in life motivates me. I'm just uh, happy to be alive. I was 13 years old. It was the late 1970s. My friend came up with an idea that uh, we stayed in her mum's empty flat because her grandma was away. And my mum thought I was at her grandma and her grandma thought I was at my mum's. And we went out drinking and being 13 and never having drunk before, I proceeded to get very drunk. And these two young men that she knew uh, took us home to her flat and then they proceeded to rape me. So even in the taxi on the way to my friend's flat, the assault had started on me. And I've often wondered about the taxi driver, why didn't he do anything to stop it? He could see that I was clearly very drunk and these two boys were already assaulting me and he did nothing. I understand now that I just blocked it out. 
that I couldn't remember it. It was just too traumatic. I remember them stripping me. I remember them being on the floor and then being on top of me. I remember them tying me up to a radiator. When I started to fight back and say no, that's actually when the violence escalated and things got out of hand. I remember them putting me back into bed at that point in my life and holding the knife to my throat and telling me if I told anyone that they would kill me and I believed them. The next morning I woke up in the bed and my friend was next to me in bed fully clothed. I could hear her bracelets on her wrists jangling and I thought there were the keys in the door that they were coming back. She was completely untouched. I was naked. Apart from the vomit, there was traces of blood, of excrement, of semen on my body. I had been stabbed. There were cigarette burns. There were cuts and bruises and nothing had happened to her. But we decided not to talk about it and we just cleaned up the flat. This was now Sunday morning. She went home to her grandma's. I went home to my mum's and we went back to school on Monday. I did whatever I could to stop me from thinking, stop me from feeling about that night. But numbing out isn't, you can't completely numb out. Um, what I couldn't talk about because I really believed that they would come back and kill me like he said he would, it kind of started to leak out of me. I stopped eating, I really stopped talking, I started to use drugs, alcohol, I didn't go to school a lot of the time. Everything was so dark and I just decided to take my life so I took as many as my mum's pills as possible. Don't really remember the details but I woke up in Edgware Children's Hospital, Edgware General Hospital and then I was transferred to a psychiatric unit for children where I would spend two to three months. Even at 13, I think I bought into the, un, the messages that we put out there that it was my fault, that I had lied to my parents about where I was staying, that I had been drinking, I had put myself into a dangerous position and what did I expect, you know, I behaved badly. So I really believed then that it was all my fault and I got what I deserved. I just believed the messages that are fed to women about victim blaming and I just went with that. I just felt... Uh, contaminated, I felt dirty. I would spend hours in the bath with bleach Ajax just scrubbing my body. I believe that if I touched anyone, I would contaminate them as well, that they would get this dirty feeling that I felt. Three years later, my behavior had become very rebellious. Whatever my parents said do, I would do the opposite. If they said stay in, I would climb out my second floor bedroom window and go out, stay out all night drinking and smoking drugs. And eventually my mum just realized something must be going on. Don't you realize the danger you're putting yourself into? I couldn't find my voice, but I decided to write down what had happened to me and I left a note on my pillow one day and I went to school explaining what had happened. She then phoned my friend and spoke to her mum and my friend said it hadn't happened like I said it did. So it had taken me three years to finally find my voice and then she completely betrayed me. And in the meantime, I had had earned myself a name. If a boy approached me or anyone was interested in me, I would just let them do whatever they wanted. I was so scared of being hurt, so I became very promiscuous, which I know now is a really common reaction as well. 
I just thought, well, the worst had been done to me. What, what else could happen? There was another twist in the tale as well as that my mum responded in complete silence. My dad wanted to go to the police. He wanted to charge the men and I refused because I thought I would get into trouble, that they would come back, they would kill me. I still believe that. And it took me many, many years to understand my mum's silence as well. But I believed then, which I understand differently now, that her silence was because she also didn't believe me. And that just devastated me as well. I told my mum that I was having therapy again and she revealed to me that at the age of eight she was raped by her neighbour. She had never told my dad. When my dad died, they'd been married for 38 years. She'd had five children. She'd never had support and she never spoke about it. After I had told my parents, they decided it would be a good idea to, for me to leave and get away from the scene that I was in, all the drugs and everything I was doing. So I, was, I went to Israel for a year, which is where I met my husband. Couldn't really understand at the time why he wanted to be with me. I really just couldn't understand it. And I would drive him crazy after years. Why do you want to be with me? Why do you love me? Why are you with me? But he just loved me. And in his loving me, he just showed me that I was capable of loving and that I was lovable as well. So it changed so much for me. It was very different to any man I'd ever met before. But I was very clear from the start that I would never have children. We had been together for about eight years or so. We'd been married now. And he asked me the question again if I'd like to have children and I was ready for my usual answer of, you know, that I can't do that. It was in that moment that I just decided that if I never have children, then these men would have won and they would have taken away that huge part of my life and I had beautiful men that wanted to be with me. I felt very happy, very safe with him, which is a strange word to use, but yeah, it was very safe. And I decided I would just live my life as, as well as I could. That would be my revenge. I think initially the me telling my children came from a place of fear, <laughs> that I wanted to protect them. I didn't want them to go through what I had done. So I told them, I guess, as maybe a cautionary tale to show them how easy it really was for me to get raped. It happened so easily. It was when Anna was becoming the same age as me, when she was turning 13, that all my memories from that night started to come back. I would get flashbacks, I would get body memories, I would get nightmares, I would get feelings, I would imagine seeing these young men everywhere. I really found it hard to believe that this is how we treat people on this planet, that we can so much violence against one person that they can totally dehumanize someone in that way. And the more I denied it, the more the memories would come back and the more they would haunt me. One of the things that I kept seeing was there was somebody else there at the time. And uh, the more I denied his presence, then the more I would see him. One of the things that they tried to do, they had tied me up to the radiator, so my right wrist and my right ankle was tied to a radiator. And sitting in between me by my side was a monk, a Tibetan monk. That's the only way I can describe him. And at this point, they are trying to set fire to my hair. They're trying to burn me. And all I see in my dreams is the monk leaning over me and just blowing out the lighter. 
So a lot of what I saw didn't make sense. But when I saw him, I just thought, I'm going completely crazy now. How could this be that this Tibetan monk, this young man was there as well at the same time? Every night I would be screaming and fighting in the bed next to my husband. And I would often see the men, their faces hovering above me the first thing when I woke up. But the monk was always by my side. It was only in the acceptance of him that I decided that for some reason I was protected, that I wasn't meant to die, that I was meant to go on and meet my husband, have my three children. I was meant to go on and live. And I didn't want to have a life filled with fear. I wanted to have a meaningful life, to enjoy my life, not just exist. I had to accept what was done to me, otherwise this was just never going to stop. And once I decided, okay, you know, they didn't kill me. I'm still alive. It's not happening anymore. I'm still here. I got to a place where I realised I'm not my body. I'm not what was done to me. I'm so much more than one night. They could never destroy the real essence of me, of who I am. You know, I went on to live my life, I think, as good as I can do in and I love life. I really enjoy my life. I have so much going for me and in some ways these two young men taught me so much. They taught me to be grateful for my life, to every breath that I take. I looked into the eyes of one of them. Without a doubt he could have killed me. The other one really stopped him towards the end. So I have very mixed feelings towards them as well. But yeah, they showed me that life is precious and it's for living. I went back for therapy because all the memories were returning. And in the therapy, my therapist suggested to me that maybe they weren't born rapists. And I couldn't believe what I was hearing. I was completely outraged that he could make such a suggestion to me. I, I believe that they were sadistic animals and I had feelings of revenge that I wanted someone to take the pair of them, tie them up and rape them for four or five hours so they would know exactly what it felt like to just be so vulnerable and to be so scared. But when he said that to me, he planted a seed in my mind and that seed just started to grow. How did they know to be so violent? How, what had they seen or heard or experienced in their own life that they could be so connected from their own humanity that they could dehumanise me in such a way that degrade me? What had happened to them? I don't believe that any of us are born rapists or murderers or terrorists or arsonists or fraudsters. That life just shapes us and uh, whatever they experienced led them down that path. It was suggested to me to have body work done. It's a therapeutic massage. And when I first went, I could hear somebody screaming and I could hear somebody kicking and shouting. And then I realized that it was me. <laughs> I was making all this noise on the massage couch. You know, because I really struggled to believe all these memories. And when my body reacted like that, I thought, I can't make that up. And, you know, had I couldn't, I couldn't deny what my body was doing, how it would shake or how I could throw up in the sessions. So I've used my body a lot in healing. And it was only by working 
with my body as well as my mind that I got back into my body. And when I said that I had to face a lot of my fears, I've always kind of used my body like physically. So I, I go to the gym, I, I do powerlifting, I windsurf, I do karate, all environments that uh, put me back into my body. So yeah, now I like my body. <laughs> I'm really good to be back in my body. I, forgiveness in the beginning wasn't really about them because I never charged them. So I haven't sat down with them face to face and told them I forgive them. But I think the forgiveness started with myself. It was really self-forgiveness that, um, you know, I put so much blame and fault at my feet that it was my fault that I got what I deserved, that uh, I shouldn't have been there, I was drinking, etc. But it's never, it's never the woman's fault. It's, it's never, it was never ever my fault. They raped me, it was nothing to do with me. I guess forgiveness is a very personal journey. It was an act of self-love. It was transformational and it just brought in so much more peace to my life and so much more understanding for what it really means to be. A human being living on this planet, the predicament of life and all that it means. If we choose to, we can really learn to let things go. We can get past anything. So I guess self-love or self-care is, is recognizing that for me that we're not all these things that happen to us. If we really choose to, we can get past anything that happens to us. Everything is our attitude. I've always believed it's what we do with what happens to us. And I guess that's why I, I want people to hear my story. I want to speak so that, to show people that I have no shame anymore. I'm not embarrassed to say that I was raped, that I know in the sharing of my story how many people, women and men, have spoken to me and shared their story and told me I'm brave for speaking up and they could never do that. And why could they never do that? It was something that was done to me. The shame isn't on me, the shame is on the men who did that. I had messages from people over the world, in America and India, sharing their story with me. And I saw that, you know, it took me so long to find my voice, but now I just won't be silenced. I want my girls to grow up in a society where they don't feel that they're hated by men, where there's not everyday sexism, when there's victim blaming, when it's just normal to be in a relationship with someone that loves you. It's really important for me to have love in my life because the alternative was hate. <laughs> and it's not just with what happened to me and what happened to so many other people, you know, even politically or even with wars, any situation, love will always win over hate. By meeting my husband and having my kids and allowing love in, it's opened up my heart. It's like that I've kind of defrosted in the protecting of myself, in the numbing out and in the putting myself in the freezer, so to speak. I didn't feel anything. I didn't appreciate anything. I was just like on autopilot. I was in my body, but it was just that I was renting a space. I was just like a shadow. I was just didn't really exist. I was existing, but I wasn't really existing. And now I just feel 
there's more of my aliveness, there's more of me here, I am, there's more of my energy, and I, yeah, and that comes from love, from allowing love in to loving, it's, yeah, it's, to me it was a key that opened many doors. The things that happen to us do not define who we are. It is what we do with the things that happen to us that creates our strength and learning. Madeline shared ideas of love, winning over hate, and sharing her authentic path of events that happen, but also her natural response to those events, that authentic, vulnerable place of how deeply those wounds affected her life. And then her learning to overcome those horrible spaces through accepting love. Love, she says, the key to opening many doors. This is a powerful story. So many of us have our own hard stories, all of us really, and we all look to others who have had similar experiences so that we can find our way, that we can figure out how to navigate the hard places. This is one of the roles that stories play. This is why we share our stories. Your challenge this week is to share the love. Share this episode or one of the other inspiring Love Your Story podcast episodes with someone in your life who could stand to use a story that shows the human spirit in this mode of overcoming and leaning into love. Share the episodes so that we can empower and inspire one another through these stories that these brave people tell and through the story tools that we talk about on these other episodes. Thank you for being a part of the Love Your Story audience. And don't forget the website, loveyourstorypodcast.com, the tools, all the episodes, the 21 Life Connection Challenge that you can sign up for that helps you create really great connections and possibilities in your life moving forward. And you can also sign up for the guided five-step process of how to reframe your past stories that are holding you back. Lots of great tools on the website. Use it and we'll see you next week on the Love Your Story podcast.